0: I want you to think for a moment about the worst boss you've ever had. It's a good thing Dan Lilly left. I know who he'd be thinking of right now. <laughs> nah, just kidding. I hope. Uh, now think about the the worst boss you've ever had. For me, I'm thinking of uh, somebody I worked for in Texas. I won't give you his name, but he was a bit sort of passive aggressive. And uh, I ended up spending a lot of time in meetings I didn't need to be in. A lot of time in his office listening to him ramble on about stuff that I didn't really need to listen to. He gave me all sorts of assignments which I thought were not really uh, that useful. And then worst of all, he would take credit for most of the stuff I had done uh, when we were in meetings with other people. Now I'm sure you have your own horror story, but think about that person for a moment. Or perhaps... You might be able to think about the worst employee you've ever had. Maybe you are a boss, and you're thinking about those who've worked for you. Somebody who, whether through laziness or incompetence or whatever, simply drove you up the wall. Maybe you're here and you're a student. Think for a moment then about the worst teacher you've ever had. One of the downsides of preaching in the community grew up in is I can't tell you the name of my worst teacher because you might know the person. So but think for a moment about perhaps that teacher that simply drove you crazy, or maybe it's somebody you have right now, or if you're a teacher, what about the worst student, the one that just sort of sticks in your brain that you just sort of remember and you begin to shudder when you hear their name mentioned. You see, when we think about the gospel and we think about what God's done for us, sometimes we think only about the relationships that we have with other Christians or the relationships we have in church. And it is true. We spent 10 weeks looking at how God wants the relationships we have here in the church and with other believers to be the kind of community he wants us to have. But when Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't just to rescue the church. It was to transform all of life all the relationships that we have and this morning we're going to spend a little time looking at the kinds of relationships we have in the workplace or at school or even in our volunteer opportunities whether at the PTA or volunteering at the Veterans Association or wherever that may be those kinds of relationships are also incredibly important and Jesus has died to transform those as well So if you have your Bible, would you turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. It's page 829 in the Bibles the church provides. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the rack in front of you or underneath your seat. If you open up those Bibles to page 829, you'll be right where we are this morning. And we're going to see God's instructions for dealing with the sort of boss, employee, teacher-student kinds of relationships that we have in our lives. Now we're gonna be looking at verses five to nine. For those of you who are astute and have been walking with us through the book of Ephesians, you'll notice that we've skipped verses one to four, which is about children obeying parents. It's not because we don't think that's important, it's very important. We're just going to save that passage for next week. Next week's Mother's Day seemed appropriate to spend Mother's Day looking at Ephesians 6 1 to 4 so this morning we're gonna jump ahead to verses 5 to 9 and look at what God has to say in that passage would you follow along as I read slaves obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart just as you would obey Christ Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men. Because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with them. Now, the first question that hopefully comes to mind is, you should be saying, well, wait a second, I thought we were talking about employers and employees, teachers and students. This passage is talking about masters and slaves. What does that have to do with? With our work relationships today, shouldn't we just read this passage? Thank the Lord that He has abolished slavery and get on to something else. Well, the reason I think that this passage actually applies to the kinds of relationships we're talking about is because at the end of verse 8, you see where it says, whether He is slave or free. This means Paul has in mind not only the kind of relationships in the first century that were master-slave relationships, but also the kind of relationships where you have a freed person working for another. It just so happens that he uses masters and slaves because that's the worst case scenario. If a slave who is owned by a master is required to do certain things, in response to that master how much more you and I who simply work for someone else or are a student under a teacher how much more are we required to do that likewise if a master who owned his slave was required to treat that slave in a certain way how much more should you and I if we are responsible for supervising another or have another under our authority how much more should we treat them in accordance with what God has said here. There's a second reason why I think this passage applies to the kind of work and school and volunteer relationships that we are in today. And that's because there's a difference between slavery in the first century and the kind of slavery we normally think of, which is African-American slavery here in this country. Now, slavery's never good, and God's never for it. But when he's talking about slavery here, in the first century, slavery worked differently. Now, for example, in Ephesus, some people were partial slaves, which meant that they were technically freed, but for a few days a week or a few days a month, they were required to work for the person who used to own them. Also, there were some people who chose to willingly sell themselves into slavery for a period of time they actually signed a contract and said for this amount of years I'm willing to come and essentially work for you slavery in the first century also had with it the opportunity for some people to secure jobs they wouldn't have been able to get in the Roman Empire otherwise And, believe it or not, slavery was a means in the first century by which some people actually climbed the social ladder. That there were ways of advancing through the mechanism of slavery in the first century. It also included, again, this is very different than how slavery worked in America. It also included educational opportunities. A slave could be a student. Or even a teacher. They were involved in the educational process. That's why I think we can usefully apply this passage to teacher-student relationships. Now don't get me wrong. Slavery was still evil. It was still difficult. But in the first century it looked different than the very brutally oppressive kind of slavery that most of us think about. So these instructions that we have in Ephesians 6 I think apply to The kind of relationships we have at work with those who are in authority over us, at school, when we're volunteering, any place we find ourselves in a sort of work environment where we are under or over another person. So let's look and see what God has to say about those relationships. And let's start with those who are under the authority of another, whether an employee or a student or a volunteer. The overriding command to us from the Lord is that we are to obey those who are in authority over us. Now for the past couple of weeks, we've been talking a little bit about the difference between submit and obey. Here the word very clearly is obey. It's the less relational word. It's the idea that when you're told to do something, do what you're asked to do. Paul's not assuming that we have a close personal relationship with our boss or with our teacher or with the person who may be supervising our volunteer activities. He's simply expecting that those who are in authority over us will be giving us tasks or assignments and our job is to do what we're asked to do, to obey. Now, there's nothing really all that new or shocking there. But to me, the meat of this passage is is in the three attitudes that God says he wants to see in us as we obey as well as the overriding motivation for why we obey so let's start with the first attitude that he says should characterize those of us who are employees or students or volunteers it's in verse number five he says obey with sincerity of heart sincerity of heart the modern term i might use for that is integrity of heart the god is asking us to obey with integrity that means doing the right thing it has the connotation of sort of honesty that when you are an employee that what you see is what you get. Now let me give you an example the opposite of that. When I was an intern at Steelcase here in town, there was another intern who worked uh, at the same plant I did and he was maybe a year or two ahead of me and for whatever reason maybe I looked like I was doing a terrible job. He came alongside me one day and he said, would you like to know the secret of my success? (laughs) I was like sure so he says it's this always look busy (laughs) and he did every conversation you had with him you got a sense that this guy was in a rush everywhere you saw him he always seemed to be rushing around now the trick was he wasn't actually busy but he sort of pretended to be busy and anytime there was the need for our supervisor to hand on an assignment he never got it because everybody assumed well that guy must be busy he's all we don't know what he's doing But he looks rushed all the time. That's the opposite of what Paul is saying. He's saying if you're going to be the kind of worker who honors God, you want to be the kind of person who serves with integrity of heart. That what you see is what you get. Students, this is why if you're asked to read a book by your teacher, we don't simply skim the book and say, yeah, I read it or we don't read someone else's summary of the book on the internet and say I read it we serve with integrity of heart that what you see is what you get that what I said is what I did likewise if as a volunteer you're assigned to sweep the floors integrity is actually sweeping the floors and not sweeping everything under the rug or some other place God's saying look I want you to serve with integrity work with integrity that's the first attitude he's looking for. If we're going to honor Christ in our work relationships. The second one is in verse six. He says, obey them, not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. And the word I would use for this attitude is dedication, that God is asking us to serve under the authority of others with integrity and with dedication you could literally translate verse 6 as don't be people pleasers who work only when others are watching don't be a people pleaser who works only when your boss or the teacher or the supervisor is watching a few months ago I read Steve Jobs' biography that Walter Isaacson had written. Steve Jobs was the longtime CEO of Apple Corporation. And in that biography, there was a number of quotes that stuck out to me. One that I thought was so very interesting was Steve Jobs was talking about uh, designing circuit boards for a computer, and he used this analogy. He says, when you're a carpenter making a beautiful chest of drawers, you're not going to use a piece of plywood on the back, even though it faces the wall, and nobody will ever see it you'll know it's there so you're going to use a beautiful piece of wood in the back for you to sleep well at night the aesthetic the quality has to be carried all the way through he was using this argument with his engineers who were saying look who cares what the circuit board looks like that they were designed to go into the magandosh nobody's going to see it and jobs point was but I'll know it's there And you'll know it's there. And so we ought to be dedicated to our work in such a way that even if nobody sees what we're doing, that it's of the kind of quality that it ought to be. Now, Jobs is saying you do it so you can sleep well at night. We do it for more than just that reason. We do it because God sees what we're doing. This means that when we're at work and no one sees our computer screen and we've got solitaire up or surfing the internet or whatever and the boss comes over and we quick hide that and put something else up Paul saying it ought not be that way because after all what does that say to God God's like hello I'm here I've been here the whole time you're worried about him when he comes over then you minimize the screen and do some real work what about me I'm watching this entire time that if we're going to be the kind of employees or students or volunteers, that we are to be dedicated to doing the kind of work we ought to do, whether anybody's going to notice or anybody's going to be seeing what we're doing or not. That's the second attitude that God is looking for from those of us who are under the authority of others. The third is in verse seven. Serve wholeheartedly. And for this I would give you the phrase, with a good attitude. That's what this means. Serve wholeheartedly means to serve with a good attitude. Now, notice he's talking to slaves here. And he's even saying in the midst of slavery, this institution that God is not pleased with, even in the midst of this institution, God's asking those who are in that, to serve with a good attitude. Now, of course, there are assignments that we don't like. There are things we are asked to do by our teachers, by our supervisors, by our bosses that we don't want to do. But the point is, is God's saying, But wait a second. It's a privilege to be able to work. It's a privilege to be able to be a student. It's a privilege to be able to use your God given strength to do something that matters. And that you and I have the opportunity even in the most foolish and inane assignments to bring glory to Christ. That if we do those with integrity and with dedication, we can honor God even in the simplest of things. And so he says, approach them with a good attitude. Be grateful that you have the chance to do that. Which leads to the overriding motivation for why we want to be workers who have integrity who are dedicated and work with a good attitude it's because ultimately Paul says we are not working for our bosses we are working for Jesus That he's the one who sees what we do. He's the one that we're laboring for. That we may think we've been assigned this task by this corporation and it is a complete waste of time. But God has allowed that assignment to come to us. And if we do that assignment with dedication, with integrity, with a good attitude, God is pleased and glorified. He's ultimately the boss that we work for. And notice what he says in verse 8. He's the one who rewards us because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether slave or free. I think this has in mind both the future rewards that God has promised to those who serve him faithfully here and the fact that God is the one who rewards us now. He's the one who gives us promotions. He's the one that gives us internships or opportunities. He's the one that allows us to have recognition. We ultimately work for him. And even if the person over us doesn't appreciate us or we're underpaid or we're given assignments we shouldn't be given, God is watching. And when we serve him, it says he's the one who ultimately rewards us. This is why Proverbs chapter 22 says, do you see a man skilled in his work he will serve before kings he will not serve before obscure men it's not because he's good at marketing himself it's not because he complains all the time when he's given assignments that he doesn't want to have it's because God is watching and when a person serves with integrity of heart and skillfulness of hands God is the one who promotes him God is the one who moves her into a position of honor or recognition, God is the one who makes sure that the person is fairly compensated, whether in this job, or the next, or in the future. This is why you can have a little shepherd boy, who though no one in the entire country of Israel pays any attention to him, faithfully and with integrity, shepherds a few scraggly sheep in the desert, and God goes and finds that little shepherd boy and makes him king over all of Israel. It's not because he campaigned for it. It's not because people's eyes were on him and so he worked hard when they were watching. God was watching the whole time. And God is the one who moved him into a position of authority as king over all of Israel. This is why we have people in this church who've labored for years faithfully, teaching a small adult congregation, not drawing a lot of notice. But God is watching and suddenly there has to be an elder in the church. They're surprised, but God is not. His eye has been on them the whole time and watched with integrity and dedication and a good attitude. Ultimately, for those of us who are under the authority of another, it doesn't matter how incompetent our boss may be. It doesn't matter how much more we may know than our supervisor or that our teacher. We ultimately work for God. Okay, let's jump over to the other side of the ledger. to those who are here this morning who may be the boss, may have others working for them, may be a teacher, may be the supervisor who is over others. What does God have to say to those of us who are in that position? Well, verse nine. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Essentially what he's saying is, if you're in authority over others, these three same attitude attitudes are expected of us the same way the same kind of attitude god expects to find those under authority he expects to find in those who are over others for example with integrity if you are responsible for determining the raises of those who work for you and you've decided not to give one of your employees a raise because he's not lived up to what he's supposed to do this year Tell him that is the reason why. Don't hide behind some other reason. Don't make up some excuse. If you're going to be an authority, do so with integrity. What you see is what you get. Dedication. Suppose that you're a teacher and you've been teaching for 30 years and you've got this down pat. You can essentially mail it in. You know exactly what's going to happen on every day with every lesson. You've seen every different kind of student God's saying dedication means that even though you can do this in your sleep, that you dedicate yourself to learning new teaching methods, to revamping your lessons, to putting time and effort into grading and to helping students. That there's one way that you simply say, well, what does it matter? I know what I'm doing. God says, that's not what I've asked for from you. I'm asked for a level of dedication where you're willing to continue to put in the kind of effort, not just when the principal is watching, but when god is watching likewise a good attitude if you work in the children's ministry here at the church and you have volunteers under you who have become you've become frustrated with because perhaps they're not as faithful in being here every week like they said they were going to perhaps it's difficult to find people to replace them god's saying look I still want from you a good attitude. It's not your job to go around complaining about those who are volunteering under you. The attitude of, look, I've assigned them to you. Be grateful that I've given you the opportunity to pour into them. That you can be the one who can help them. That you can be the one to encourage them. Which leads to the main point that Paul says to those who are in authority. Do not threaten them. Since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. The essential point is this, is that if you are in a supervising capacity, if you are in authority over others, we are essentially Christ to those who work for us. We represent Christ to our students. And he says the key characteristic must be that we are not... Harsh, now it doesn't mean that you never discipline a student who gets out of line. It, never means, it doesn't mean that you never uh, have to send a stern email to an employee who's not doing what they need to do. That's not what this is talking about. But at the end of the day, those who are in authority must not be characterized by harshness. People who work for us or are our students must not live in regular fear. Instead, we are to treat them the way Christ, our master, treats us. He does sometimes discipline us. He does sometimes rebuke us. But he does it gently and in love and with great patience. And more than that, he shepherds us. He guides us. He teaches us he serves us and Christ is saying that's what I expect from those whom I've put in authority over others I asked someone in our church who recently had become a supervisor and recently had become a Christian I asked him what do you think this passage means in that environment and this is what he wrote to me and I thought I'd share it with you it says one thing that is important is that an employee honor a boss's position of authority the more important thing is that more important thing to that though is that the boss honor his employees by being put in charge of employees a supervisor is many things they are a role model a support a source of wisdom by being a role model and a support they are showing their employees how they should act They are honoring their employees by using their wisdom to help improve those that have been placed in charge of. It's kind of like Christ being the boss of man. He is the wisdom, the knowledge for us to understand what we need to do. Without him, we, the employees of the kingdom, can't do it alone. Kind of seems it always comes back to that. Christ does it for us and in the end he's a perfect example. Of any relationship we find ourselves in. And that is the essential point. Is that those who are here who are under the authority of another, we are working for Jesus. He's the one who watches what we do, He's the one that we're laboring for. And those who are in authority over others, we are Christ to them. We are the one shepherding them, guiding them, helping them. We are to be interested in what's in their best interest rather than what's in our best interest. We are to be Christ to them. At the end of the day, Christ died on the cross and was exalted as Lord to transform all relationships. Not simply what happens here in church, but when we leave this place and we go and volunteer at the PTA, when we go and work uh, at our jobs, when we are a student or a teacher in school, Christ wants to be represented there. And when we are under others, we serve them as we serve Christ. And when we are over others, we represent Christ to them in care and compassion and even when there needs to be discipline we do so in the attitude of love not through threats and means of force. Now I have an assignment for you. We've been doing some assignments the past few weeks as we've walked through the very practical portions of Ephesians. First, if you're here And you are an employee or a student or you serve as a volunteer under the leadership of somebody else. I want you to go home today and ask yourself this question. What should I do differently? In my job, at school, in my serving. In integrity or dedication or attitude because God came on Sunday morning and reminded me that I work for him. What should you and I do differently? Because I got reminded by the same thing you're being reminded of. Ultimately, I work for God. What should I do differently? Since that's the case. Second assignment is for those who are here who are in a position of authority. You have people who work for you. You're a teacher your supervisor over volunteers the question we need to ask is what should i do differently now that god has reminded me that i am christ to those who work for me that i represent him to them what should i do differently when it comes to integrity or dedication or having a good attitude what should i do differently when it comes to demonstrating an attitude of kindness, of gentleness, of patience, and love.